0: About discerning uh, God's voice and so let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. As we open your word, we pray, God, that it would be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Lord, we pray you would show us where we are. You would show us where we're going. That's what your word is. It's powerful. So open up your word, God. We pray that it would expand in our hearts. Give us the grace to walk out your word and do what it says Father, we can do that by the power of your spirit. And so we pray, fill us with your spirit. Empower us to live the life that we read about, to do the things that you speak about as we follow you. God, this is what I ask for, for all of us. And I, and I also pray, Lord, that as we're gathered together, that um, you would come in a very special way this evening. It's what I sense. I sense that just in your presence, Lord, you might heal some of us. You might deliver a few of us. You might renew our mind. It makes adjustments in our thinking, the way that we see you, the way we see our walk with you, our life with you, even the way that we've been doing things. There's just maybe an adjustment that you need to make. And I just pray for each one of us, whatever it is, Lord, we pray that tonight you would do just that. And we thank you for, for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, just by way of review, we have currently talked about having a relationship with God. That was our first week. I always like to start the conversation of hearing the voice of God by talking about having a relationship with God. It's something that we say all the time in churches. It's something that you hear. A lot of books reference this. But I have learned that even though we say it, even though we seemingly talk about it, or we tell other people this is what Christianity is all about, I have come to learn that not everybody knows how to develop their relationship with God or how vital and important it is. And so we talked about hearing God is all about knowing God. As you learn to know God and walk with him and seek him and in relationship with him, a byproduct of that is hearing the voice of God. But without knowing him, you won't hear him or hear him as clearly. We talked a little bit about the Bible and the strength of the Bible being the eternal voice of God, the forever truth of God. It's unique. You and I may hear the voice of the Holy Spirit today or tomorrow or the next day, but it doesn't compare to the word of God. It has a separate purpose. You understand that, right? The Bible reveals the plan of God for salvation. It reveals what God has done through calling the Israelites and establishing his covenant with them and then sending his son Jesus. And he came through, Jesus came through the Israelites and preserving the messianic line was vital and important in the old covenant. And the new covenant came with Jesus, his blood, his body, given for us. And the word of God reveals all of these things. So when you and I are listening to the voice of God in the life that we live, and the circumstances that we have, it's not a comparison, it's a different purpose. To hear the voice of the Holy Spirit today has a different purpose than understanding the written word of God. And so the Bible, the Old Testament, is like the foundation of our faith, and the New Testament is like the house that's built upon that. And everything the Holy Spirit will say to us in our walk with God will fit inside that house. But it's important that we know the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. So that's why last week I talked about the nine ways that God communicates, because seldom is God's voice an actual voice. When people say, God spoke to me, when you're not familiar with what that might mean, you think, well, what did it sound? What did he sound like? I mean, God spoke to you? What did that look like? What did that mean? Was it like this booming voice? Did other people hear it at the same time? I mean, we don't really know what that means unless we're equipped and we look through scripture and there's dreams and visions and all kinds of, I mean, thoughts and surely when Jesus, when the Bible talks about having the mind of Christ, we realize that God has that access to our thinking and speaks into our thought life and how do we discern that, which is why we've come to this topic tonight, discerning the voice of God. The number one question that I get from people about hearing the voice of God is how do I know that it's God and not me? How do I know that it's God and not the devil, or a demon, or the pizza that I ate, or my friend that I don't really like their advice, but they seemingly echo in my head every time I think about a certain topic? How do I know that it's God and not myself? Because obviously, if God were to speak audibly, clearly, we wouldn't question that. It'd be so clear and none of us would have any questions about discerning, we wouldn't have to discern when something's that HD clear to us, there's that clarity on it. But this, this, this relationship that we have with God, especially as you look in Scripture, you find the Holy Spirit leading people in very unique ways. I mean, especially in the book of Acts, it's pretty amazing how Paul would have visions and he'd get up from that and know exactly where to go, and one of the illustrations I give in my book is from scripture, Acts chapter chapter 16, where it says the Holy Spirit, this is Paul speaking, the Holy Spirit forbid me to go into Bithynia. And I've always wondered, what did that look like? The Holy Spirit forbid me. Well, somehow Paul knew the voice of God. He communicated, the Holy Spirit communicated to Paul and he knew that it was him and that he wasn't supposed to go into Bithynia. Well, there's also other scriptures where, where Paul talks about that Satan resisted him so that he wasn't able to go into other regions. So you have Paul speaking about two different things. He speaks about the Holy Spirit, you know, told him not to go into Bithynia, and then you have other verses where he says, Satan resisted me to go into this region. Well, how did he know the difference? How did Paul know how to discern between the two? It wasn't like Satan showed up on his door and, hey, I'm Satan, I don't want you to go into this region. It'd be really nice if you just cooperated and complied. (laughs) We don't have to go through this, like, spiritual warfare thing, Paul, you understand it's not what happened, you understand. It's not what happened. The spiritual world that we actually is real, you, you know that. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. Just because you can't see demons doesn't mean they're not there. Just because you can't see angels doesn't mean that they're not there. But we don't necessarily always talk about that. And some people that do are, are off a little bit at times, but it's very real, guys. This stuff is so real. So when we're talking about hearing the voice of God, we've got to acknowledge this spiritual realm that is so real and right in front of us. And God is spirit and he's speaking to us. Now when we talk about like discerning God's voice, I, I mean, a couple of weeks ago I, at our church I shared this message, I'm gonna share similar to that, some of it, and I'm gonna elaborate in other places. But this is a message that we all need, especially in the times that we're living in because there are a lot of voices in our times. There are a lot of voices in our times. When you look at like the political landscape, or you look at the religious landscape, or I mean, even just the Christian world, and how many different voices are lobbying for your attention, how many voices are lobbying for your allegiance, your alliance, this is what you should believe, this is what you should think, this is what uh, Christians believe. I mean, I hear people talk like, this is, this is, this is, this is, and so what, where is the place for you and I to step back and say, what does God say? You know, if you find yourself, like I've been many times, I'll confess, I've found myself many times just throwing my lot in to be another opinion among opinions. It's not a godly thing. Amen? Some of you not too sure. I'm talking to the online viewers. <laughs> we just throw our opinion into the, the stew of opinions. We get riled up on things, and I guess the question that we need to ask all the time is what is God saying, and how do we discern God's voice in the midst of all these other voices? You know, I have a definition of a voice when I'm saying this. A voice is an expressed will, desire, or opinion of something or someone seeking a response, and many of those are lobbying for our attention all the time, and we need to know this. John chapter 10, 27, the verse that we've been sharing every week, Jesus said, my sheep, hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And while so many people are saying, this is what you should believe, and this is what you should think, and this is what I think, or this is what God thinks, we've got to learn, we've got to learn to take a step back and ask the Lord, what do you say? Especially in our times, amen? So discerning God's voice becomes that much more important. I have, I have been asking this question as I read the Bible. I read stories like Daniel, who lived in Babylon. And he didn't compromise what God had called him to do, what God had told him to do, really according to the law. He was a man of prayer. Um, he was a man who worshiped God alone, right? Just like Jesus talked about in Matthew 4. He worshiped God only. And there were times where he could have lost his life as a result of it, but ma- Daniel didn't compromise. And he heard the voice of God in his day. He heard God through visions and dreams, and he was able to bring interpretation to secular society and kings of his day because he was a man that was set apart. And I read about him, and I think, where are the Daniels of today? With all the opinions that I hear, all the people that are saying all this stuff and trying to speak loudly about what they think, where are the Daniels that can hear from God and speak God's word with such clarity that something that shakes hell actually happens? I believe that we can be those kind of people, but we have to uproot some of the stuff that we find ourselves planted in at times, some of the thoughts and the ideologies. You know, when you come to Jesus, you come pre-programmed with a lot of different things. You have a pre-programming that's already happened. Now, you grew up differently than me, so it comes, uh, it comes to you differently or it comes from different places or you have different beliefs than I might or I do. But God is in the midst of deconstructing us. And in a world of social media and, and media that's expanding all of the time, we just are getting our information from all kinds of places. My question is, are we getting it from God? A lot of people have a lot of opinions, but are we discerning God's voice? Are there, here's the question. Have we lost our ability to hear from God and discern His voice? How often have you bought into something that you thought was God, and then you find out, oh, maybe I was a little bit off on that. Maybe I was a little excited about that candidate. (laughs) I've heard it, right? I was a little overboard, right? What if the problem is is that we're throwing our lot in too soon because we haven't learned to take the step back, and we're too busy putting our step forward? I I think that's part of the problem. I want to look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and I believe Paul gives some, I mean, some very good clarity about what it means to discern the voice of God. I'm just going to read here. It says verse 1. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul wrote this letter to primarily Gentiles, and Jews would read this as well, but he wrote this letter to basically lay a thorough foundation of the gospel. He wrote it to people that had probably been born and raised as pagans, and they didn't understand what Jews did. And so that's why you read, probably in the New Testament, there's nothing... Um, as far as its thoroughness, there's nothing in com- that can compare when Paul lays out this theology. And if, it's important to know about Romans. I mean, just a little bit of a, of a backdrop. There was a, a, the emperor Claudius in Rome expelled all of the Jews. I think it was 46 AD. So basically, all of the Jews, this is how uh, it would go. All of the Jews had to leave Rome. Overnight, this is what happened. And if they didn't, they would be imprisoned or worse, And so the Jews were primarily the leaders of the Christian church. We don't know how the Roman church was started. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that he's always longed to be with them, but it seems that he's never actually been among the church in Rome. He clearly didn't start the church in Rome, so we don't know how it started necessarily. But the Jews were the ones that were primary leaders. He says that in Romans chapter 16 and other places where one of the churches, at least in the city, had been started by Priscilla and Aquila. And he talks about that. But in 46 AD, all of the Jews have to leave, Christian Jews. Here's all the leaders to the church are gone overnight. And the Gentiles, who didn't grow up with the law or the moral compass, and they didn't understand the foundation of their faith, they knew the good news, but they didn't know the bad news to understand the good news and appreciate it. And so Paul spends a lot of chapters going through the bad news so that those who don't know what the Jews would know could have a thorough understanding and, and it's interesting because this letter doesn't t- necessarily arrive to Rome until about 56 or 57 A.D., which is when, you know, the emperor had died, and obviously that's when Nero comes to power, and he didn't have the same edicts. He didn't really care and s- had this kind of pseudo-freedom of religion, supposedly, until there was a mass persecution later on in 70 A.D. And so the Jews come back, and now you have the Gentiles in charge of the church for the last five or six years. The Jews were expelled, and now they got to come together and learn how to be a people, Jew and Gentile, come in together, and he spends Romans chapter 9 through 11 talking a little bit about that. That's why it's a really important conversation. So a lot of the theme from chapter 12 is unity, unity among diversity, not conformity, but among diversity. And so it's important that Gentiles who came out of paganism would hear some of the things that he would say. And we're living in like a post-Christian era, if you will. I mean, I was reading some statistics not long ago that would suggest that those that are mul- considered millennials, the millennial generation, it's somewhere between 6 and 8% conservatively have some kind of Christian background in America. How many of you know that in America or in the United States of America, it has been decreasing every generation considerably? Not a little bit, a lot of bit. And so when you talk to people out and about about Jesus, especially in Washington, amen, and you use Christian language, a lot of times they have no grid for that. And so you're speaking a different language to them. This isn't something that they they understand. And so we're becoming missionaries in our own land. We have to get this. This is very important because other countries are sending missionaries to our land. So if we don't become missionaries in our own land, there's going to be a massive problem. What's going on here? (laughs) There's a a little bit of spark going on. Okay. You guys woke up. That's great. (laughs) So Paul is, uh, just to kind of get back to this, Paul is talking to them uh, about this and laying a foundation about how to follow Jesus. There's some things that they had that were holes in their theology. He's talking to them about that. But listen to what he says. This is the last verse of what I read to you. He says, so that you may prove what the will of God is, he said, do these things so that you may prove what the will of God is. The word will would be desire, intention. You know, God's will isn't like whimsical or capricious. God's will is fixed, concrete. Uh, it, it, it's, it's truth. It's not like our desires. Like I wake up in the morning, I have a desire to drink coffee. You know, I may or may not. God's will, God's intention, uh, what he aims to do, he will do. This is talking about God's voice, what God is speaking about. So that you may prove what the will of God is. I'm just inserting the word voice of God. That which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do these things so that you can discern. If you don't do these things, you're not going to discern. And I want to put out those things that Paul brings up in this passage. There are three things that he, that he talks about. And I'm a three-point preacher unashamedly, but there just so happens to be three points. So it's not my fault. And the first thing that Paul says, he says, present your bodies. He tells them to present their bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. And if you were to go through it real quickly, he says, uh, acceptable to God, which is, is your spiritual service of worship. And it's kind of amazing what he's actually getting at is you can, you you can go to church faithfully every week, you can raise your hands, you can sing songs, you can listen to Hillsong all day long, you can do a lot of things, but it doesn't mean that your spiritual service of worship has ever been given to God. He says, give your bodies, present your bodies. And here's what I believe about discerning God's voice. It is not possible to discern God's voice unless you surrender fully to God. You will be confused about what God is saying to you because you're not surrendered, I'm not surrendered. So if we don't surrender, he says, present your body, your eyes, your ears, your heart, your mind, your feet, your hands. If you don't present your body to God, your whole self to God, you will be confused about what he's saying say ben why is there so much confusion about what god is saying or what his word is saying i think a lot of it stems from whether or not people at least at first surrender their whole self to god you say ben are you talking about being perfect no i'm not i'm talking about holding back i'm not talking about whether you struggle and you come to god in repentance Hey, listen, every one of us has some of that in our life. I'm talking about whether or not we're believing God with all of our life. Is Christianity just something that we do or is it something that we are? Is Jesus an add-on in our life or is he the Lord of all? I'm I'm being straight up with you. I'm I'm going to park here for a moment with you guys because this is vital. And and if you don't hear people talk like this, they're going to try to lead you into some cushy life that is just a lie. We weren't created for ourselves. We were created for God. We will not be satisfied in ourselves. We won't be satisfied with less than God. And when we don't come under his lordship and we try to give, uh, have our best life, sounds like a bestseller somewhere. If we try to have our best life and it's all about my plan that God has for me to make me look and feel good, that's the wrong kind of thinking. Present your bodies. As a living and holy sacrifice. Now, this was language that they would understand. I don't know people that make sacrifices, okay? Nobody's ever sacrificed anything that I've ever been around. And I'd probably think that was strange if they did. But in their world, the Jews would understand sacrifice via the temple. And pagans would understand sacrifice to placate their gods. They would sacrifice animals to placate their gods, to earn something from them. The Bible says that life is in the blood and without going through sacrifices, God is saying about people, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Every day you're presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. This is setting your life apart unto him, for him. This is what Christianity is about. And I'm telling you, you will begin to hear the voice of God when you surrender your life and you continue to surrender your life to God every day that you wake up. You wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, what do you want to do today? What is today about? You begin to hear the voice of God. But if you wake up in the morning and just go about your life, whatever you want to do, whatever I want to do, however I want to do it, and God, would you just bless what I want to do? I'm telling you, you will always be confused about hearing the voice of God. I'm telling you the truth. Say, Ben, why would you say that? Because I got a lot of people in my office. They come in all the time. Not everybody's confused that comes into my office. I know a few of you are here. But people come in and they're confused. And I can tell you, this is the honest truth from a pastor to you. Doesn't mean I know more than you, just means I meet with a lot of people based on spiritual matters. And I have these conversations time and time again. And I can tell you, a lot of it is always about surrender. So, when, whenever there's not a full presentation, we always live in negotiation, we will negotiate with God. Based on what we want, where we want to go, what we want to do. And discerning God's voice, honestly, is not even on the table. I can tell you that from experience. In order to hear what God is saying and speak what he is speaking, we must be wholly set apart. This is what holiness is all about. It's being set apart unto God. Being set apart, being consecrated for him and for his purposes. You know holiness is a gift. Jesus paid a price and made us Holy. We are the holy people. That means set apart. We are set apart unto God. But if we don't learn to live a holy life, we will never do what God has called us to do. If we don't live in keeping with what Jesus paid for, day in and day out, this is what Paul's talking about, living a set apart life, we will go about trying to satisfy ourselves in every which way the world will offer. And it doesn't even have to look evil and, 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 and end our life in a prison. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you can be at the highest of the high. You can have the office in the skyscraper, you can chase it all. And if, it's not, if God's not in it, you won't be satisfied by it. Amen. And we'll think that blessings are money. Oh man, I'm so blessed. You know the blessing of the Lord has nothing to do with money. A lot of people that got a lot of money that feel lonely and depressed and everything else. It's not the blessing of the Lord. God, if God gives you money, it's for his kingdom. Praise God. But it's not about blessing you, I mean, come on, this is like, maybe not what I'm trying to talk about, but, so the call to holiness before God is where he reprograms us to be more like Jesus, to look like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to talk like Jesus. Hearing the voice of God is first and primarily about surrendering our lives to him each and every day. There's the first surrender in Christ, we're born again, and then it's the daily surrender of our life, of our ears, so that we can hear him. The second thing Paul says is, he says, do not be conformed to this world, and I say it on your notes, I say, guard your heart. We need to learn how to guard our heart. He says it, be not conformed to this world. By this, Paul is saying, don't allow yourselves to be shaped by, fashioned after, or copy the customs and the behaviors of those who don't know what you know, hear what you hear, or have what you have. Guard your heart. As we've been set apart in Jesus, as we surrender ourselves, we've gotta realize that you and I there's an attack that will come against us. And although we have the victory in Jesus, we've got to learn how to guard the gates of our soul, our eyes, our ears, the influences that come into our life. We've got to realize that these things shape us. And this is where I talk to you about many voices. In order to discern the voice of God, you've got to realize there are other voices that are coming and speaking to you, lobbying for your attention and your allegiance. You've got to be aware of that. We have to know this. And so I want to equip you on that in this part where I talk about it in Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 the writer says watch over your heart with all diligence in some translations he says guard your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life in other words you've got to be on guard at the gates of your soul you've got to be on guard you've got to realize there's something coming and it's not always God something wants to not just get you to think wrong but live wrong Whatever, influence, whatever influences your thinking will ultimately control your actions and the way that you live. That is the absolute truth. The truth from God sets us free and causes us to walk as who Jesus created us to be. So we're learning to guard our heart. And there are a lot of different voices. I want to talk a little bit about the different voices. The first voice, I mean, other than the voice of the Lord, was what we're, is what we're seeking to discern and grab a hold of and live out. The first voice in opposition to that is the voice of the enemy. The devil's voice is always in line with his character. The Bible talks about the devil or demonic spirits in this way. Liar, accuser, thief, a destroyer, a deceiver, immoral, sinful. Some is easy to pick off when the enemy comes to tempt us. And you realize this, that demonic spirits primarily work through deception. And it's important to bring up right now that there are demon spirits that have access to transmit thoughts. And what I mean by that is there's the ability in the demonic realm to tempt you. And I would say it a different way. We've all accepted that. If you haven't accepted that, I, I can't go through all of the scriptures to prove it. But we've basically accepted that not all temptations are from demons. But the demonic realm has the ability to send, transmit temptation, tem- tempting thoughts. And that's the realm that they function on. They can't make us do anything, they don't know the future. They're not like God, these are spirits. And it's that spiritual realm. They can transmit thoughts. You say, Ben, give me some scripture for that. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because the Bible is our source. Genesis chapter 3 is the first human beings. And the Bible says that the enemy comes to them, the enemy being the serpent. Paul later refers to the serpent as the devil. But it's Adam and Eve, and the enemy comes, and he lies to them in order to deceive Adam and Eve. You guys know the story. At first, he questions whether or not that they know what God has said. He basically wants Eve at this point to eat from the tree. We don't know if it was an apple or what fruit it was, it doesn't say, but eat from the tree that God told him not to eat from. And he basically somehow can transmit this thought to her, like, and he's deceiving her into thinking that this is something that she wants to do. And he's questioning whether or not she even knows God's word. Did God really say, yes, God said that if I eat from this, we will die. So, he go, so the enemy will, okay, you know God's word, so let me look at it a different way. Let me distort what God has said because you know what God, for the first battle is whether or not we know what God has said. I'll tell you, the enemy is picking off a lot of people that don't even know what God has said. At least Eve could report back to the enemy, no, God did say this. And he's like, okay, I'm going to try a different strategy. I'm going to deceive you and, and try to dumb down the truth of what you believe God said. That's what, that's what comes next. So he says, well, God knows that if you eat from this, that you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. That was the name of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. He, see, he knows. He's, he's holding something back from you. That's what they try to do. He's holding something back from you. And isn't that like the conundrum for young people today? I had my son, my, uh, one of my sons, my unnamed son. I've got three. And I remember when he was going through junior high, and this is what he said to me. He goes, Dad, if I follow Jesus 100%, I know that I won't have any friends. Because people will think I'm a freak. See, he had bought into this lie. He had bought into this lie that if he was full on for Jesus, that somehow it would equal something bad for him. Isn't that what the enemy tries to do? God's holding back from you. God's holding. He knows when you eat from that. He knows that you're going to be like him, knowing good and evil. And that's the lie going out to the young people. And we need to, and, and, and middle-aged and older. <laughs> First Chronicles 1 Chronicles uh, 21.1, the enemy comes and tempts David to number the armies of Israel. And the Lord told David, don't you take a census. And the enemy comes to David to take a census, to number all the armies and their chariots and all that they have because it was a distrust for God. God's like, just trust in me. Any battle that you face, I'll help you get through. And he's he's got to count all of his chips. He's got to calculate all the people, all the armies. We've got to make sure that we have this. And so the enemy comes and tempts him. And leads him astray from what God said. And he obviously follows what the enemy said. And it equals massive destruction to the people of Israel. Many lost their lives as a result of it. And John chapter 13 verse 2, the most famous one. It says that the enemy tempted Judas to betray Jesus. It actually says in some translations that Satan already put it into Judas's heart. It's like, whoa. But see, Judas didn't have to receive that. He didn't have to. He walked with Jesus for three Three-ish years. The enemy can keep us from the truth. If he can keep us from the truth, he'll cripple our life in Christ. This is a voice that comes against us. We need to know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We wrestle, 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and forces and wickedness in high places. Paul said that while he was chained to a Roman guard who beat him. He was saying, I know that the war is not against flesh and blood. Even though I'm being abused, taken advantage of, and beaten by people that have flesh and blood, I know that that's really not what this war is about. Something is influencing this person to think that what they're doing is okay. And he knew that there was a mind behind that system that was influencing people to do what they do. Paul could discern that there was a voice that was manipulating this person and these people to do what they did. And if they would know the voice of God, then they would come up out of that and be able to walk in the way that Jesus would call them to. That's what he was doing. Isn't it amazing? He's talking about the voice of the enemy. The voice of the enemy is all about lies. Now, there's also other voices, the voice of the flesh. Some would say, the NIV says sinful nature. It means the same thing. Galatians chapter five, verse 16, Paul says this to the Galatian church, but I say to you, walk by the spirit And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And then he goes on to describe what the flesh is. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh for they're in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things that you please. We have sinful desires in this body. You and I have sinful desires in this body. You know it and I know it. And I don't have to ask you about it. But when we come to Jesus, we're born again in our spirit. And Jesus is teaching us. To live out of that place spiritually so that we can overcome all of the other desires that might try to take over and control and manipulate us in this life. He's teaching us to live in our new nature for which we've been born again. That you and I don't have to be like we once were. That's the admonition from scripture time and time again. No longer are you this. You're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. This is the admonition that we don't have to continue in the cycles of sin any longer. But the first, the first war is whether or not we believe that. We get wore down by sin and cycles of sin. And so we hide it. And the shame causes us to cover. And we don't want anybody to know. So we isolate. So that's why a lot of people stop going to church. And then they blame the church. It's the church's fault. It's the church's fault, or it's this person's fault, or it's that person's fault. I thought the Bible said to forgive. I mean, I thought the Bible said that we're supposed to love each other. I mean, you're also supposed to hear that word, too. It's not just about what's been done to you. It's about what you do in response to what's been done to you. That proves whether or not you and I are living Christ-like. I could go on, but the point is is that the voice of the flesh is very strong. It's going to be unforgiveness, wounding. And we walk around as wounded people in the flesh and the desires, the sinful desires that we have personally to satisfy our flesh, and it's, it's the perversion of what God has for us in this life, everything from sexual to pride to you name it, the worries of this life, the pleasures of this life, the cares of this life. That's the voice of the flesh just lobbying for us to constantly walk in that, but we can overcome that voice. Again, it starts with what we believe. Another voice is the voice of our past. Some of us have done things in our past we're not proud of, or things have been done to us that we're ashamed of or we're angry about. In Christ, we can forgive. In Christ, we can be released in forgiveness. We can overcome that voice that says, you're no good. Look what you did. Or look what's happened to you. Look who you are. Whenever you hear that kind of a voice in your head, and it happens. I meet with a lot of folks, and it happens. This is who you are. You're no better than this. You hear that like person that's almost speaking against you. It's, that's not your voice. If I could tell you, one of the strategies I think of the enemy is to get us to believe that that voice that comes against us at times is us, so that we own it for ourselves. No longer is it you are, it's I am. It moves from the I am a horrible person or I am no good or whatever to, or it moves from you are no good to I am no good, where we actually own that, and that's, that's what we are. And then you t- trying to break free of that, it, it can only happen by one way, the blood of Jesus the forgiveness that comes in him. It's what we talked about as we closed worship, but the voice of our past. Now Hebrews chapter 10 verse 16 talks about we've been forgiven in such a way as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. He remembers them no more, meaning that Jesus does not call to an account our sins when we're in him. He won't call them to an account. And that's powerful good news, right? You, you, you and I, we realize that Jesus has wiped out Blotted out our sins when we believe in him. Forgives us, cleanses us from unrighteousness. We're new creations. It's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says. Another voice is the voice of the world. I'll, I'll stop at times when I can, but media, cultural opinions, political agendas, popular perspectives. I would even call it popcorn theology. It's like Twitter theology in 164 characters. <laughs> Things that sound really good but don't say anything. It's like, well, so-and-so said, well, what does the Bible say? Do yeah, you, you see what happens? I just want to tell you this, too. I want to say this for the record, okay? And this isn't necessarily the voice of the world, but let me just say this for the record. Uh, for those of you that are here and those of you that are going to watch this, that your pastor's not God. Pastors have a place in the church, and we should honor their voice. I, I, I think, at least in the world that we live in, the Western world, and I would say this corner of the United States... I would say more people don't honor the voice of their pastor than do. I'm just being, this isn't a self-serving kind of comment, but to be really honest with you, people just leave the church without even sitting and talking with pastors. I mean, it's just pretty obvious to me that a lot of folks don't honor the voice of their, it's just another opinion among opinions, you know, and and we podcast and YouTube so many other preachers, well, so-and-so said, and God has a role and a responsibility for pastors in our life. That's why we should be very connected to the body, okay? But they're not God. And so although they have a role and they, and they have authority in certain matters and direction and decisions, we have to seek the voice of God ourselves. We can't tell our pastor to go up on the mountain like Moses and come down and tell us what God said. Everybody's got to take their own walk. My job is to walk with people up the mountain because we can all go. Let's go. Let's go. Don't leave it to Mo. I mean, something like that, all right? It's really stupid. <laughs> But the voice of the world is the systems that promote non-Christian perspectives through various mediums. Now, I would tell you that cultural, I don't, I don't demonize culture. I'm not going to demonize politics. I'm not going to demonize all this stuff. God has a lot of people in these various places, television, media, culture, politics. God has people in there. But those systems, in and of themselves, are not the system of the kingdom, and so while we can influence those systems, we're not in control of those systems. So we've got to be very careful how we see those systems and the role that we play to influence the lives of people. It's, it's vital. I, I'm telling you, it's vital that we understand this. Because otherwise, what we end up thinking is that um, if God would just control the country through one party or another, then everything would be fine. How many of you believe that's going to happen? I mean, I don't see any hands, so... If God would just put a Christian president in there, then everything's going to be good. Do you believe that's going to happen? We don't have one on the ballot. I'm not sure. I don't think. But I mean, honestly, if if God puts the best Christian, if if I was president, which I'm not the best Christian, okay, Pastor Chris or somebody else, (laughs) God puts the best Christian and they're president, how much red tape is there? It's a system that they can't control. Now, maybe there'll be some better things and there'll be some pushback on evil. I, I believe that's a good thing. But they'll realize very, very quickly that public policy has not changed just because you follow Jesus and because you you read Bible verses during your speeches to the American people. It's it's not going to happen. Now, I'm not trying to talk about politics. I'm just saying that it's amazing to me how people lose their Christianity when they start to talk about their politics. It's amazing to me how we lose the voice of God when we start to talk about our politics. Real quickly, too. Okay, so if somebody's a Republican and all of a sudden they disagree with a Democrat... Um, they're on opposite sides of the spectrum, and they're saying this is what's right, and they're saying this is what's right, but it's always through a filter of politics, instead of backing up and just saying, Jesus, what are you saying to me for this person? No longer can you minister in love to that person, because now you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, and they're on the opposite side of the party. It's like gangs. It's like bloods and Crips, you know? I mean, seriously, it's like you guys can't get along anymore because you guys have different value systems, but you never asked anybody about their value systems. You never sat at the table and had coffee with them and looked them in the face and said, hey, what are you really... believe about this? Hey, do you really help people? Do you really give to people? You've never even done that with a person, but you size them up and you judge them, not based on the voice of God in your life, not based on what scripture teaches you as a Christian, but you've already thwarted that in your life, and now you're judging them based on some kind of political lens or other lens that's been given to you by a worldly system that is trying to control and dominate people. Who's in charge of that? Who's really in control of that? It's amazing to me. It's amazing how people just relinquish the authority that we've been given, the love that we're carrying, the voice of God that we're supposed to hear. We just give that over because of all of these other things that at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter as much. God's not going to judge us on that stuff. He's not going to judge me on whether or not I voted for a certain person. You know that. I think you should vote. He's going to judge you on whether or not you loved your neighbor. There will be a judgment. You will stand before God. We will stand before God. Every one of us in this room. doesn't matter if you believe what I'm saying. We will stand in front of Jesus. And we will give an account for our life. Our salvation might be secure, but the deeds that we, that we lived out in this life, we will give an account for those things. And the next life, the rewards that come in the next life aren't just a nice house and a Cadillac. (laughs) The Bible talks about crowns. The Bible talks about rewards. The Bible talks about what we do in this life matters for the life to come. It's extremely clear. If you don't have that theology, you should get it. It's in the Bible. It's very clear. It's not a salvational judgment. It really helps understand this stuff when it's based on our eternity. It's important that we get it. And often we're listening to the wrong voice. And that voice is influencing what we do or what we don't do. That's my concern. I mean, for me, I'm not, you know, people say, are you a pacifist? If that's what you want to say, say it. I don't even care because your label doesn't matter to me. I'm a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. I love the kingdom of God. That's what I'm here to do is advance his kingdom. Isn't that what you're here for? Isn't it amazing? Like, you know, in Jesus' day, there was actually a political spirit. Do you realize that? And then there were were these people called the zealots that rose up against the politics of the day, the Roman oppression. There were zealots, and they thought, the way that we dominate the Romans is we kill them. Because everything everything else we try doesn't work, so let's kill them. That's what a zealot was. A zealot was to rise up against the Roman oppression and take them down through force. That's why when Jesus was asked a lot of these questions... From some of his companions, they still thought in a very military, political sense. When are you going to come into your kingdom? They thought in a military, political sense. That's why they didn't, it didn't make sense to them that Jesus would get on a cross and die. That's why they were discouraged, because they didn't understand. Well, if you're the king, why in the world are you letting them do this to you? There's a call in your life for sure. <laughs> I'm certain of it. I'm certain of it, Stephen. In Jesus' name, you just might want to put that one in the bank. There's such a call in your life, it can't even be silenced, amen? Sorry is an order, I'm not sure. There's a voice of the world. You got to know this, All right? I'm amazed I think that I think of how far television has come and let me let me let me just say something to you real quickly, okay now this is not the time if you got to get up and go to the bathroom, that's fine. It'd probably be the worst time to do it right now, but so if you can hold it, try to do that because I'm going to say something, and it might make a few uncomfortable. but I mean this. I can remember times where I was in my office and I would have i've said this before i I, I would have girls in the office that were our interns, and we, my wife and I, we've had lots of interns, and we, we love all of them. And they would love this, this song and the culture, there's like love this song, and and uh, but you know, they're not playing it in Pastor Ben's office. So, there were times where I would just go, oh, Okay, you guys really like this song, you guys think this is a really good song, you guys like dancing in this song, okay, cool, let's press play. So, let's go on YouTube and press play in Pastor Ben's office, and let's just listen to it out loud in the church office. You play that song. In my presence, now, I'm not God. I'm just, I represent him, I guess, in one way or another to a lot of people as a pastor. We play that song. It's filthy. And I looked, at, I looked at those women in the face and I said, do you have dignity? Yeah. Do you want men to treat you well? Yeah. Why are you entertaining yourself with something that is absolutely the opposite of what you say you want? People say, well, I'm against pornography. Do you watch movies that have sex scenes in them? Women, men, that's pornography. It, see the hypocrisy, right? It, you get, Okay, this is, a, this is a worldly voice. There's a worldly voice, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this isn't about feeling guilty. This is dishonest. Why do we as Christian people allow ourselves to be entertained by the things that Jesus went to the cross for? If you're a woman, why would you do that? Why would you allow yourself to listen to a song where a man talks about women in every which way that he shouldn't? You should never do that. And I'm not demonizing those people. We should pray for those people. I'll tell you this, though. uh, When it comes to the voice of the world, if you're addicted to the thing uh, that's entertaining you, you're never going to be praying for the people to get freed so that they can experience Jesus. If people are addicted to pornography, I'll tell you what they're not going to do. They're going to be enjoying the sin that they're doing for entertainment for people instead of praying for the people that are broken enough to get involved in that stuff because that's what God has called us to do is to break the chains on people's lives that find themselves in places that they don't want to be anyways. But because the voice of the world comes and says, hey, this is what you want. This is what you want to enjoy. This is what what makes you feel good. This is really what, hey, everybody's involved in this stuff. You should really like this. You should really participate in this. And we allow ourselves to be entertained by it. And we say, well, it's not as bad as this. You know what? He says, present your bodies. Present your ears. Ladies and gentlemen, present your eyes. You say, "Well, I struggle with that." Well, we can all relate to the struggle, but you can't settle. Keep struggling against sin in your life is what I'm saying to you. You guys, with me on this? Not all of you. (laughs) (laughs) Should have seen their face when I started playing that song, young women, young women. I'm looking right at them. I'm like, "Don't you ever not only let a man think this way or talk this way about you? You have dignity and respect." But don't let anything come into your ears that talks like this. They don't deserve to speak that over your life. Don't, don't even let yourself be entertained by it. I'm not kidding. And I'm not saying we go up into the mountains and hide from this. I'm not hiding from anything. I, I'm not the kind of guy that walks into the room and says, turn that off, I'm a Christian. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, I mean, what other people do, they do. But I'm talking about you. Here's what I am, I'm a missionary, all right? And I believe that, I believe everybody's carrying a message, and I'm not going to fund missionaries that are carrying the opposite message of my Savior. Yeah. Oh, come on, somebody. You're not going to get my $10. Yeah. I'm going to fund the message that speaks of Jesus in a profound and radical way. Yeah. That's why, for me, I'm uncomfortable when people dumb it down. I'm like, gosh, man, this is like, I mean, this is, you can, we need the full concentrate, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I don't I don't need water added to it. Just go ahead and say it like it is. Oh, man, where do we go from here? <laughs> voice of the world. It's very powerful, isn't it? You ever feel the pull of that voice to be entertained? Some of us may be right when we leave this meeting tonight. We feel the pull to be entertained, to just drown ourselves in entertainment, just to numb our mind and our hearts to things. God wants to pull us out of that. He's got, he's, he's, he wants to speak to us. He is speaking to us in ways that are so profound, transformative. But we got to guard our gates. When you guard your gates, you all of a sudden start hearing the voice of the Lord with the kind of clarity that you, you wanted. But that duplicity, you got you to settle that. The, the last one I want to tell you about is the voice of the crowd. You know, there's over a 100 times in the Bible it references a large gathering of people where it calls it the crowd. I, w- I was remembering in the time where Jesus' crucifixion, my family just watched the, uh, the book of John, it's the, the, the story of the book of John kind of played out. And I don't remember who the actors are, but they're people that you would know. But anyways, we watched that the other night. And there's this moment where they like, crucify him. All the crowd is saying, crucify him. And there's like people in the crowd that are like random citizens. And I don't really think that they knew what they were saying when they said crucify Jesus. But there was a crowd that spoke up that said crucify him. Everybody was saying crucify him. And there was a bloodlust that came upon the crowd. And so you didn't want to be the kind of guy that said, no, set him free. I mean, there was nobody saying that. Because everybody used their voice, either they were passive and said nothing, or they used their voice to say the same thing that everybody else was saying. But there wasn't one person, not even the followers of Jesus, that was speaking up in that moment saying, no, this is an innocent man. Nobody did that. Everybody threw their lot in in that moment. And there are other times when Paul is in Ephesus, and he's basically on trial in a a way, and and, he, and the crowd is, is saying what they want to do to Paul, and the whole crowd speaks up in one accord and to the point where the, the place where they are starts, it starts to shake, and the guards have to come out and get him and pull him out of there before they killed him. This is something happens when a crowd starts to go crazy, and they all start to say the same thing and believe the same. We can get wrapped up. You and I, Christian people, can get wrapped up in what other people are saying they should, we should be doing. You ever been in a situation where you felt a little uncomfortable, but you just kind of went along with it? Here's what I want to tell you boldly. You are not called to compromise, and you might find yourself with people and in places. They may even call themselves Christians, and they want to compromise. You and I need to rise up because God is raising up radicals that hear his voice, discern what he's saying, and they're willing to pay a price for what God wants to do. That's the kind of people that we are, and I want to boldly say that to you tonight. You want to discern the voice of God. I want to discern the voice of God. It is going to come because we don't compromise. Because when we we read the Bible, we believe it over what everybody else is saying. And if other people look down on me, it's okay. Because God sees me. That's what the fear of God is all about. It's where you walk before God and you know that he is with you. He sees you. He knows what you say. He knows what you do. And you walk in that reverence. You walk in that wonder, that awe, like you don't want to do something that would somehow offend or grieve his holy presence, not because he wants to squash you, but because you get to walk with him. There's a power to understanding that. This generation, our generation needs the fear of God to land on them like no other time. Where we know that we're discerning his voice and it doesn't matter if everybody else is going down the stream. We're going to swim upstream. I want, I, I, there's somehow I wish I could just spiritually shake something in you. That everybody would have a spine of steel in this room. That we would have a spine of steel for the right things at the right time. Saying what God is saying. Sometimes we, I, I mean I, I am amazed at how people are so bold about cultural things and not Christian things. How can we become so bold about things that don't matter? About having opinions that don't matter. You know, if you find yourself having an opinion about everything, I, I, one of the things I like to say now is because I've been a very opinionated person in my life, and the older I get or the, every year that goes by, I'm just learning like, you know, I don't need to give my opinion on everything. Man, who cares anyway? I mean, you, know, you understand what I'm saying. Like, I don't need to give my. I don't need to be the smartest person in the room. Just take a step back and let other people duke it out. I don't. I want to talk about the things that matter. We want to talk about the things that matter. We want to speak up about the things that matter. We don't, we don't want to be a, a voice in the crowd. Amen. I'm I'm not going to give myself to that. I'm not going to compromise. And, and I want to I want to say this to all of us. This this bold proclamation needs to be over each one of us. I'm not going to compromise. Not in private, not in public. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not, I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I don't want to be ashamed of what the Word of God says. So if I don't have some understanding, then I need to dig in and find out what it means. I need to find out what I believe so that I am clearly, in an educated sense, not ashamed of what it says. But I'm not ashamed. I'm not gonna hold my head down as a Christian and go, oh, you know, I mean, there's that. No, too many people are ashamed in our culture, in our generation. Don't be ashamed. You're following God, man. This is awesome. (laughs) Paul continues, and the third thing I'll say to you is renew your mind. You remember I started this about discerning God's voice. I started this by reading, so that you may prove the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And the third thing he says is renew your mind. This is what you've got to do to be able to discern God's voice. Renew your mind. Paul says this, and it's another way of saying this is become new by changing the way that you think. Our thinking has power over our living. This is why the war is over what we believe. Always it's over what we believe. In order for us to discern God's voice, we need to allow him to change the way that we think. Now, I'll read this to you. i put it on your notes. It says, our influences equal our thoughts or our mind. Our thoughts, what's in our mind, equal our actions. Our repetitive actions equal our habits, and our habits equal our lifestyle, or our habits are our lifestyle. It doesn't matter what we think we are. It doesn't matter what we think we do. It matters what we actually do. And if you don't like what you do, like we talked about earlier, if you don't like the way that you're living in a certain area, we know because of what Jesus has done and the power of the Spirit living in us, we can be new because we are new, we can live new, but we've got to get a hold of our influences. If influences are the thing that shape the way we think, and the way that we think becomes the way that we act, and the way that we act becomes the way that we live, then we've got to go and change our influences, I mean, it's no wonder why we're living in a sex-crazed generation that not only can't keep their pants on, but they can't get off internet pornography. I've said this, and I continue to say this, and people wonder why I talk about it enough because a generation is being bred on pornography, sexual perversion, okay? The voice of that homosexuality is normal. God made people this way. That, that's be, we're being bred on this stuff, right? So we're being told that this is, that this is God's perspective or this is okay or, or young people are thinking like this is what sex is and they're being bred, they're being raised on this. It's an epidemic. Okay, so you just kind of think about that for a second. That's influencing people's thinking and action and then you get all these people married. How many people are going to stay married like that? Christian people. I was doing a conquer, or we were talking as a men's uh, ministry, we were talking about this conquer series that we're gonna be doing at our church. And the statistics, real data, real data suggests that it's like eight out of 10 men are dabbling, if not addicted to pornography. Eight out of 10 in the church. Five out of 10 pastors. That's the data that they're working with. This is upon thousands upon thousands, and it was four or five women. Four or five out of 10 women. So it's not as much, but it's a lot. That used to be the statistic for men, now it's that, that, that's for women. This is how bad it is. Here's what it is, our, influence, influ, our, our influences equal our thoughts, our thoughts equal our actions, Our actions equal our habits and our habits equal our lifestyle. And although we come to church we end up feeling guilty when somebody's preaching and we can't discern the voice of God that is constantly saying, you're new, I've made you new, you're free in Jesus' name. It's like we stop hearing that and we stop discerning the voice of God speaking that over our life because what we believe is what we're living and we don't know why we can't get free but it's because we've got to go back up to influences and we've got to fill our life, our mind with the word of God. We've got to fill our mind with what the spirit is saying. We've got to fill our mind with men and women of God that will speak into our life, correct us, adjust us, speak the word of God to us so that we would emulate the way that we live, the the way that they live. You have these trends where people don't read the word of God. The percentages are lower, right? They're like 20% of Christians that have been pulled by Barna, I think it's 18 to 20% read the Bible every day, 18%. That's not even a fifth. And it's like 25 or 6% or whatever it is that read it once a week. So you've got no word of God, no truth going into people. And then people that don't go to church, that's narrowed all the way down to even less. And so men and women, you can't even touch people anymore. You can't even speak into people's lives anymore. And you say, Ben, how do you get discipled? The word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. And it's no wonder if you follow those trends, just those three trends, if you and I were to do that on real data, this is the trend of Christianity today, moving away from the very things that disciple them to being more like Jesus in their life. That's the truth. Statistics don't lie. They're saying that to us. So when you are isolated and you're living a certain way and you're, you're, you're a Christian, you love Jesus, but you, you can't get free, well, you've got to get discipled. You've got to change the way that you think. But in order to do that, you've got to fill yourself with everything that is God, and what if we don't, what ends up happening is we believe in Jesus and follow ourself. So we're a believer but not a follower. And then there's this conundrum where it's no wonder why people just walk away from Jesus entirely. But a lot of this is, if you could see it, is the enemy is getting in these lies, not just individually but culturally. You know, it's amazing. Um, I'm a little bit on my soapbox. Are you guys with me? I'm, I'm closing up, okay? I'm, I'm wrapping this thing up. I'm getting ready to close anyways. P- people bash the church and they say, you know, the church is the one that's abused everybody and all this stuff. I, I would actually go, I, I would actually say that's, that's, again, a cultural voice saying that. Yeah, yeah I mean, the church has definitely, uh, pe- the people of God and the places that we gather have done some damage. Okay, but, but let's, just, let's just call it what it is, people, Is it people, right? Sometimes I go to Walmart and I get offended regularly, but I don't blame Walmart. I mean, I want to, but it was just a person that worked there, or it was a person that shopped there, and I blame the whole thing based on that experience. Okay, that's what we do. That's essentially the illustration there, the parallel. But I think in the culture, I think that if you were to watch movies and you were to listen to stuff, they're painting God as an angry person. It's all over the culture. I mean, I just was sitting back, we are watching a movie not long ago, and it was just painting a picture. This is just a normal, not a Christian movie or anything, just a normal movie. And it's painting God, generally, not necessarily a Christian God, but God, the guy in the sky, as a mean, mad, angry person. But the church is getting blamed for a lot of that. See, I think the church ends up getting blamed for a lot of stuff. And once again, that's another cultural voice that's saying, this is what's to blame. So people are like, well, I don't want anything to do with that then. But who is speaking do you hear what I'm saying? Where are these voices coming from? Is this the voice, what does the Bible say? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, don't forsake the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. I mean, why would, why would the Bible say that? Because they were in the habit of doing it. They were in the habit of not gathering together with believers and when you don't gather together with believers, you don't have pastors, you don't have leaders, you don't have mentors, you don't have disciples, you don't have so- sons and daughters and mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. God in Christ has reconciled us to himself, he is our father, we're sons and daughters, but at the same time, we've been reconciled to one another as brothers and sisters, and we're working that out with one another, and that's where the wounds come in, and that's where the offenses come in, and we start to listen to all of those things instead of the voice of God, and we live out those wounds, or we live out those experiences time and time and time again, instead of taking a step back and saying, well, what does the word say? The word says, forgive, as you have been forgiven. The word says, love, even when you're not loved. Your love is actually measured by the quality, the quality of your love is measured by your ability to love through the hate that comes against you at times. But We just take on these voices. And to discern these voices means we have to be aware that they're there, number, number one. But number two, as Paul says, we need to present our bodies. We need to allow God to have everything, You don't. you and I, if we're Christians, we don't have the right to have these opinions, these little pet peeve opinions, this is what I think. It doesn't matter what we think, it matters what God says. You know, here, weigh what I'm saying to you, but don't weigh it with your opinion, weigh it with the word. I used to tell our interns all the time, I said, you can disagree with me, but you better disagree disagree with me with the Bible, Because if you just walk away and you disagree with me based on what you think, then you're just throwing an opinion on what you think is my opinion. doesn't matter what we think. It matters what the Bible says. It matters what God says, the unchanging truth and word of God. If we're going to discern the voice of God, it means that we're going to be a people that are allowing God to renew our mind. We're being filled with his word. We're being filled with the voices of people that are walking out his word and his ways. We're being filled with this stuff constantly. Over and over again, we want to change our life, we need to renew our mind. You don't like the way that you live? Let me ask you a question. You don't like the way you live? Change the way you think. You say, well, man, that's really hard. Huh? Yeah, it's, it might, there might be some stuff in there, but that's what you got to do. It's very clear. Change the way you think. You want, you want to discern God's voice? There's some stuff that's in the way of you discerning God's clear voice to you right now, his will for your, for your life. I, we were, um, when I was a youth pastor about 15 years ago, roughly, um, I went to City Church, and when there was, there was a guy named Jude Fouquet, and Judah Smith was a, kind of like the associate youth pastor at the time, and they would have this gathering for youth pastors, and I would go, and met, there was about 100 of us there, and then one day he had this thing that he did, and I, I'll never forget. It was, I only went like three or four times, because my pastor asked me to go, and I was still working and stuff, so I couldn't, I couldn't go, and, and I like had 10 kids, you know, everybody else had like hundreds of kids and budgets, you know, I was like, what's a budget? <laughs> we didn't have any money or anything, you know, just, I don't even think they liked my preaching, it was terrible, but, but I went up there and, and he had this little piece of paper and he said, I want you to write on average how many, how many minutes you spend in prayer a day and how many minutes a day that you read the Bible. So we all wrote on there and they took them in the back room and they came out with the statistic and he read it out loud. It was like, I, I, if I can remember correctly, I think it was two minutes on average a day that these 100 youth pastors pray. Two minutes a day. And uh, it was somewhere around two to five minutes a day for reading the Bible. And I remember he was like holding that holding that piece of paper up and he was like, do you guys think that's going to cut it? <laughs> like all that our students are up against, do you really think that's going to, he's like looking, he's holding this piece of paper, do you really think that's going to cut it? Like for you, do you, do you, do you think that's going to? It's not about legalism and formula, but he's just saying, this is your relationship with God. This, whatever you think about God, whatever you think, how good you think you are with God, maybe you just think morally because you didn't sin today. But we tend to think, like, because there's a lack of what I used to do or be like, somehow that means that me and God have a really good relationship. But he holds this thing up, and he's looking at everybody. You think that's going to cut it? You think our students are going to get what they need if this is our relationship with God? You really think that? And I never forgot that illustration because I was convicted myself. I was like, you know what? It's not going to cut it. Our students, our people, in our ch- small church, I think our first year of our church, we had several divorces. Within our first year, I, I had just become a pastor. I had no idea how to talk to anybody about marriage, let alone walk through a divorce. I just was amazing, the thinking. And I'm, I'm being introduced to uh, anti-biblical thinking, and people don't read, the wow, oh, it's so hard to read the Bible. And I was like, you can do it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And I feel like I've become a broken record. People are like, I really want to know the voice of God in my life. I really want to know the voice of God in my life. And I'm like, you've got to start with reading the word. You know, people are so resistant to this. Guys, listen, they're so resistant to this. You know, so resistant to it. I've had people tell me like, you know, I don't, I don't read my devotions, my devotional thing anymore because I just felt like I was doing it just to do it. And I go, how does that logic even make sense? I mean, this is probably a bad way of me saying it in a different way. It's like, so, like, I'm, so I, 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 I don't want to have integrity just to do it, or I don't want to stay pure just to do it, you know, just because it feels like an obligation, you know. I don't want to have, like, fidelity in my marriage just because, you know, just to, like, just, be, I mean, how, how does that even make sense? Like, you need the Bible. Like, the the deception, I'm, I'm not making fun, I'm just saying the deception that sets in, I'm trying to expose lies, I'm not trying to make people feel bad, I'm trying to expose lies. The lie that sets in, it starts to make us feel like we're proving something to God. You're not trying to prove something from God, he gave you that book, and he told you to read it because it was for you, and the devil wants to get you to believe somehow that you're reading that book to prove something to God again, because somehow he's tricked you into thinking that that's what you believe. It's not what you believe. You believe Jesus paid for you, Jesus did what you could never do, and he adopted you into his family, and then he gave you a book and said, when you read this, the truth is going to come, it's going to penetrate your thinking, it's going to renew your mind, and as you are renewed, you can start to live the way that I created you. And the devil comes along and tries to make you think you're just doing it to prove something to God. That's, no, man, that's, that's the enemy, that's not God, that's not some religious preacher, that is the enemy. That book, whatever keeps you from that book is an enemy, even if it's your thinking. Whatever keeps you from the place of prayer is an enemy, and it will, it will distort your ability to discern and hear God's voice. This is what will happen. You'll say, God, I really want to hear you. Lord, I want to hear you so bad. Lord, I'm telling you what, man, God, if you would just speak to me right now, you know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Lord, just a little bit, you know, hey, here I am. There it is. <laughs> Come on. You can't walk around with spiritual earmuffs on. We can't. We can't do that. I, I mean, I mean, guys, I'm passionate about this. I'm, I I know. It. If you don't know me, you don't know my heart. Like I spend. I want to spend my life helping people discern the voice of God for themselves. But it starts in the root system. It's not just casual and capricious, you know. I mean, we could get up and we could prophesy over everybody. We can do all of that, guys, and we could walk out of this room and still not be rooted and grounded in the very voice of God. Yeah, all right? So I'm I'm pounding this into you. Whether you, I hope you come back, but I just, I believe this. I do. I mean, that's why you know you want to be. Dis- if you're not disciple, get into a discipleship relationship. Have somebody like myself pour this into you, and don't let you get away with anything. Seriously. Watch what kind of person you become in a year. Let somebody put a sword to you and watch how your life changes. Right? I mean, get a steady diet of that in your life from somebody that's walking the walk, that's talking the talk, and watch how you start hearing the voice of God. It's amazing. And we come into church like bouncing, you know? <laughs> Just like, hey, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Woo! We're not, Everybody's a target all of a sudden. Because we're... We're good with God, right? I literally do not come to church to get something all the time. I come, to, we're, I come to contribute, man. If I came to church just to get something, at some point I would stop coming. That's why people get bored at church is because they're not contributing. And once again, they're missing the voice of God. The voice of God is beckoning them, calling them to contribute, to give, to serve, to speak, to teach, to encourage, to prophesy, to minister. They're missing the voice of God, and they say, Well, I'm not really getting anything out of it, man. You know, that person didn't say hi to me anymore. Said, do you see, you see, it's, I call it navel gazing. We're kind of looking at ourselves. You know, how long do you do that before you just realize, like, that sucks? <laughs> this is just bad. I'm letting loose tonight a little bit. That's why it's navel gazing. But you know, it's not you and it's not me. We have an enemy that wants to distort the way that we think. Yeah, absolutely. And if we want young people, younger people than us, if we want young people to rise up and have more than we have, then we we got to start building something. We got to start living the way that we want them to respect. I, my belief is that kids aren't gonna do just what we tell them to do, they're gonna do what they see us doing. I think that's a fact. Your kids don't see you praying, or kids don't see you praying, seeking God, fasting, you're gonna tell them to do all that stuff, and you're gonna, you're gonna live opposite, that's what they're gonna catch. I'm, I'm not preaching less than radical Christianity, I don't think discerning God's voice is cheap. I just want to tell you right up front, ladies and gentlemen, I can't give you a formula tonight. I'm going to, I want you to deepen your life with God. I want you to deepen your life with God. If you're not willing to do that, let me give you the hard truth as if it hasn't already been a little tough. There's a little sugar that I'll give you to make the medicine go down at the end. But a C- couple gulps right here. If you don't want to deepen your life with God, you're not going to discern his voice. And you will make decisions that are not God's best for your life that will happen.